Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Lift leg, bend knee, insert foot in mouth. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the uh, newly renovated recording studio here built at my home in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. On uh, this week's show, I'm going to answer two more of the Ask the Expert questions in Pipe Parts. And then my guest is uh, Jeff Grasick for a bonus 30-minute-long uh, Ask the Expert or Ask the Pipe Maker, and because uh, we had a we had a couple of long uh, couple uh, a couple of questions that I knew were going to take some time, and then music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Uh, remember, the JDRF auctions are up and going right now. Go to Steve Fallon's Pipe Stud eBay store on eBay, and you will see them all there. Uh, the uh, fishing rod is up there right now. There's a couple of pipes. There's uh, uh, that pipe bag that uh, Ed Graves at Dark Fired Leather made. Uh, the uh, pipe valet from uh, Craig Cedarquist. Anyway, bunch of great stuff up there, all bid, all ready to bid on right now. Uh, the tobacco went up last uh, last Saturday, and I believe uh, most of it sold out instantly. So thank you very much. I believe we're right around uh, nine hundred dollars from that. The uh, hat sales, thirty dollar donation with that includes shipping in the United States here. Uh, I believe I've raised about $300 from that. So thank you very much to all of you. If you still want a hat, reach out to me. I still have a few. All right. Uh, also, while you're on the interwebs, uh, if you could go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review, that would be great. And since we've got a lot of stuff to get through in this week's show, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, for Pipe Parts, uh, two of the Ask the Expert questions, and uh, these are my opinions on them and my thoughts and my ideas, which I'm still the leading expert on my own opinion. Uh, so the first one, what is your preferred method of flame? Matches, butane, Zippo fluid, and can you detect the differences in the smoke? So uh, let me just say I have used a Zippo in the past just for fun. And I've got my grandfather's Zippo that I got new innards for, and I've used it before. Um, uh, Zippos, I can detect the smell, and it and it does. You know, it reminds me of you know, it reminds me of my grandparents. That's that's about it. Yeah, but I don't use it for my pipes. Um, I just don't. I just don't like the don't like the smell. Uh, matches to me are a bit of a hassle. And I say that because you have to have an ashtray near you. And if I'm out and about, it's another thing that I have to carry with me and then worry about. Or, you know, while you're driving, you have to have an ashtray and all that. With a pipe and just a butane lighter, well, you really don't need an ashtray because you got nothing to throw away. Um, when it comes to lighters, you know, I love my Jeep lighters. That's just the ones that I found that I like. Uh, I've got some fancy butane lighters. I just don't carry them anymore. And I just use my DeJeeps, even sitting here around the house. That's what I use. That's what I like. Am I worried about the fuel being dirty? No, not really, because 
at the end of each smoke, I run a pipe cleaner with Everclear on the tip of it, and I run that through the draft hole in the stem, and I run it around in the bowl, and that just, you know, that's just my normal every end of smoke cleaning routine. Um, I don't do that right at the end of each smoke, but again, you know, I'm not worried about it. Um, I can't taste the difference in the different qualities of butane, so I'm not worried about them getting dirty. Um, the second question is, do you notice a cooler smoke with a pipe with a longer shank like a Canadian? And my answer to that, in all honesty, is no. Um, I've had church wardens that were 10, 11 inches long, all the way down to my normal, what I've been calling lately, my workhorse billiards that are five inches, you know, long you know, billiard lavats with one and a half inch stems. I really don't notice a difference. Um, what I will say is that even in my little five inch billiards, the ones that I like the most, the stems are about an inch and a half. So that gives you a couple inches of wood shank. And I've always been more of a fan of the Lovat or the longer, uh, the, the pipe shapes that have a longer wood shank. And I think it's not so much because it deals with temperature well. I think the extra, the, the extra bit of wood there helps with the moisture more. And I think it just gives the, the moisture is going to get absorbed more into the wood than it's going to get absorbed into an ebonite, vulcanite, or acrylic stem. So that moisture has more of a place to go and you know, that kind of cools it down. I think what makes a pipe smoke cooler is more about how you smoke it and how you pack the bowl. And I've talked about it in the past about how I like tobacco chain you know, my bowls to have about a quarter inch of bowl wall all the way around and I think that helps dissipate the heat inside the tobacco chamber. Um, I think my packing technique over the years has been refined to where I know exactly how to smoke it. And the key thing is that even when I'm sitting and watching a movie or, uh, you know, sports or whatever, when I'm sitting in front of the TV with my pipe, I still only smoke it for five minutes and then I set it down for a little bit and then I come back and I tamp and relight. So I'm not, I'm not one of these people that lights it at the top, smokes it all the way to the bottom without doing a relight. And I think those little times in between to help it cool and to let it relax and cool off. Well, that's more important to me to keep the pipe smoking cool and flavorful than a uh, than a Canadian or a church warden is. Uh, and of course, there's the engineering and all that stuff. So there's my thoughts. Um, you know, if you have any uh, comments or questions on them, of course, email me, Brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And in just a moment, a uh, bonus size episode of uh, <laughs> Ask the Pipe Maker with Jeff Grasick. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for a uh, for as the as the special guest. Jeff, you're not just a little segment this time. You are the main guest of the entire show like we've done in the past. Um, oh, shucks, Brian. Yeah, Thanks. This, this is an all about Jeff Grasick. Ask the pipe maker segment uh, or ask the pipe maker guest. So please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. The pipe maker, Jeff Grasick. Jeff, welcome to hey, the show. Hey, how are you doing, Brian? 
Oh, fine and dandy. So, all right, we we got some heavy hitter questions for you. Are you Uh-oh. ready? We'll, we'll do this. We'll do this one first uh, because I think we've touched on it in the past. It's a it's a hot button subject all the way around. But this one comes from Rick Newcomb, and and this is it. I mean, here's here's the question. <laughs> Why All are right, there why are there such differences in drilling of the three holes in pipes? And he's talking about just size, dimension, everything. And I and I think let let's just set up what the three holes are. All right. Okay. There is the tobacco chamber, which is where you mm-hmm. put the tobacco. Uh, then there is the mortise, which is where the tenon and the stem go onto the pipe and mm-hmm. then through that is the air hole and i mm-hmm. i think what rick's getting at is all three of those you change those slightly and it changes the experience of the pipe uh, why are there such big differences yeah it's a it's a great question and certainly if you've browsed an online store or your own local tobacconist or or gone to a pipe show, you've seen a wide variety of different shapes and sizes. So let's start at hole number one, the (laughs) tobacco chamber. Yeah. Why are there different sizes of those? You know, it, it, some of it is pipe maker preference. Yep. So perhaps a pipe maker is partial to a particular size and shape for a particular reason, and that's why they use it. Sometimes, uh, especially for new pipe makers and maybe for lazy old ones, it's because they only have one drill bit. (laughs) They may have multiple drill bits, but that might be the drill bit that's in the that's in there yeah, now one they can find <laughs> right right yeah so they're lazy and they don't want to they don't want to change it up at all but i think largely or at least in my workshop i change things up and it, it depends on the size of the pipe the shape of the pipe and what my what the intended use is and so let's first go to the size of the pipe obviously putting a very large chamber in a very small bowl is a bad idea because you end up with very thin walls, which means that I have to take a return for a burned out pipe. I don't like yes. doing that. And, and right. I'll, uh, let me jump in right here because uh, uh, a little bit back you and I were talking about a pipe that you made and I was asking you dimensions. Mm-hmm. And one of the dimensions that I asked about was the thickness of the bowl wall all the way around the pipe. And at a minimum, I require a pipe to have a quarter of an inch of wood all the way around it. That's a number that I've come up with because of my specific style of mm-hmm. pipe smoking. I've, bro- right. I've broken that rule of pipes that I've bought, and then I have to alter the way I normally smoke when I smoke that pipe. So that that talks right. about a specific dimension there. Yes, absolutely. So wall thickness is is one of the things that we consider when we're making these decisions in the pipe in the workshop. And some pipe makers or some designs by pipe makers have really thin walls. If you think about uh Sixteen Everson's uh the Nefertiti or the or the the chimney shapes that he makes, they have really thin walls, paper thin. Yeah. And some of those after, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of smoking, or whether it's careful or heavy, they, they can burn out over time. Some, and, and you look at a contemporary pipe maker, uh, someone we both know and love, Tom Eltang. Some of the walls on his pipes are really thin, but they're like the, the pipe that Tom is smoking all the time it shows. He's <laughs> probably been smoking the same pipe for 20 years. <laughs> He's never burned it out. Because, you know, if you're careful and, you know, you 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 know hey the the walls are getting a little warm i should probably set it down for a little while so he knows for him that the walls have to be a certain thickness and 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 how to uh, how to deal with the pipe when when the walls get hot that's we we ask for th- there's a kind of partnership between the the owner and the pipe maker in in some cases, or we hope there is, yeah. that they understand how to smoke a pipe properly, and they trust that we know how to make a pipe. 
Well, and think and think about it as the difference of a uh, of a wine glass versus a beer stein. Right. Beer steins are meant to be durable and guzzled and gulped and stuff like that, where a wine glass is more delicate and it's meant to be held and sipped. So pipes are that way with the dimension, you know, with the thickness of the bowl wall and the, and the dimensions in the tobacco chamber. Exactly. Exactly. Now, and if you're a beer stein, if you typically are expecting to treat a glass like a beer stein, well, don't buy a wine glass. Yeah. Yep. Or don't use it don't use a wine glass like a beer stein because it's, it's frustrating and it affects the ability of the, the, the maker to, to make a living if you buy something and mistreat it. Now, on the other hand, if the maker is irresponsible and makes the pipe improperly in the first place, well, that's, that's on the maker. So that's that bit of a digression from yeah. our, the, the specific topic here. So, so we've got chamber dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing we've got wall thickness or the, the size, like the, the, the width of the, the diameter of the chamber relative to the diameter of the pipe bowl. But you also have the shape of the drill bit, the profile, and you can have one that has straight walls, they're parallel, and then the bottom is rounded. And that is, in my opinion, the ideal shape. And the reason is that the bottom of the tobacco chamber, when it's a a full rounded profile, that allows for the the moisture that inevitably develops and condenses on the bottom of the bowl underneath the, the tobacco, that allows that the greatest amount of surface area to condense on so that it doesn't get sucked up into the draft hole. Yeah. So if you've ever smoked a V-shaped, like pointed tobacco chamber, well, they smoke wet. And the reason is all <laughs> of that moisture gets sucked down to the bottom of that V, which gets sucked up the draft hole. But there's also times where the shape of the pipe dictates that you need to manipulate the bottom of the bowl differently because you, you can't yes. do a Dublin with a wide bottom or a, you can't, or a you bulldog. Can't. And that's why, exactly. So the, the shape of the bowl, the shape of the pipe also determines the, the tobacco chamber. So for the lazy pipe maker who only has the one drill bit, that may limit the shapes that they can safely make, or it means that they're going to be doing a lot of returns for thin-bottomed bowls <laughs> on, when they're using the wrong shape. Or they're going to have very heavy-bottomed bowls, which are not going to hang in the mouth and be a clencher. They'll be a hand yep. holder. So, so right. That, yeah. So we, I mean, there's a lot of variations and tweaks that go mm-hmm. into that. There are. There are. And you know, I, for for me, what I'm trying to do is is to bring my customers the best experience that they can possibly have with a pipe. So that means it doesn't break, so it doesn't burn out because I've used the correct dimensions of a tobacco chamber. And also that the the pipe is made properly, right? So that it's not uh, it, it's it's not going to have those the thin bottom. It's not going to have super thin walls, and that I'm not going to make you'll never find one of my pipes with a V-shaped bowl or chamber, even a Dublin, because the, the, the bottom will always be rounded somewhat on my pipes. And the reason is that I, that's where I've drawn my line. I just don't, I don't do that because it will create a wet smoking pipe and I won't allow that in my work. So you may round it a little more than you would a traditional bulldog, a traditional billiard, yes. but you're not going to go all the way to that dramatic V. No, no. So you'll see I have three profiles. I have a V shape that's rounded on the bottom, but the 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 rounded area is about about half an inch wide on the bottom. So it would be as if there were a a half inch parallel uh, drill bit down to the bottom of it and yeah. then a V shape all the way up, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then I also have a parabolic drill bit, which is kind of the best of both worlds. It has the parallel sides and then the, the shape of the bottom of the bowl is it gradually comes in like a parabola. So it allows me to do most of the Dublin type shapes that a rounded tobacco chamber won't allow me to have. Jeff's using big words just to impress us, but that's fine. It impresses me. So go ahead. <laughs> so those, that is hole number one, right? Yeah. Tobacco chambers. 
Oh, and the, the, the third part of that is the what the customer expects. So if a customer wants a, a particular shape or set of dimensions in a tobacco chamber because of a uh, the, the kind of tobacco that they're smoking, whether it's like a, a, an English flake or a, a, you know, a, a rubbed out Virginia or something like that, they're going to smoke differently in different bowls. And some people have preferences for that. All right. I'll tell you what, before we get on to the second hole, let's take a break right here and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pause for a sip of coffee and we'll be back with you in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf. Each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show doing a uh, full episode, Ask the Pipe Maker guest spot with the pipe maker of J. Allen Pipes and J. Allen Design and uh, with Jeff Grasick. So, Jeff, all right, we're on to the second hole. What's okay? (laughs) I'm telling you like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's the difference of the dimensions of the second hole? So. The second hole that we talked about was the mortise and tenon, correct? Yeah. That was the second one you brought up. So this is the, the, the mortise. It's, it's not unlike the tobacco chamber in that it can be different dimensions and different shapes. So the, and there you have parallel sides, uh, which is a traditional push fit mortise and tenon. And you also have the military mount, which is an, at an angle it's uh you're pressing um you're pressing an angled fit into the mouthpiece and that that is safe to remove or i'm sorry into the you're pressing an angled um or tapered uh shank tapered stem into the shank i'm getting all tangled up here (laughs) yes you have a tapered mortise on your mouthpiece and you're pushing it into a uh, a corresponding shape in the shank. And you're doing and that. The reason that you have that is that it allows you to take the mouthpiece out when the pipe is still warm while you're smoking it to clean it. And you also want as much surface of the stem coming into contact with surface of the mortise hole so that it holds in there while you're smoking it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Ooh, I mm-hmm. knew something. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I knew something. I got excited. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know so much. Yeah. 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 All right, so so you've got those variations, and I would assume that the that the interior yeah the interior size of the mortise hole isn't really going to change too much because you don't want to go much bigger or smaller than than what a traditional tenon is going to be, but you may have to go a little bit bigger on a bigger pipe so that it holds better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's more about strength and aesthetics than anything else. So, you know, if you have a, if you you have a shank diameter that's an inch, inch uh, across, like uh, as you know, Rich Esserman, yeah, might like, and then you have a quarter inch diameter tenon. When you take the pipe apart, it just looks funny, and so, <laughs> you know, there there is that to consider, but that's not functional. Functionally, what you're looking for is to have the strongest possible joint that you can have, one that's not going to break and one that's going to hold the mouthpiece in. So you're correct in saying that the larger the diameter of that tenon, the more surface area is in contact so that the friction will prevent the mouthpiece from falling out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And if you do a pencil shank, 
well, then you got to scale everything down even further so that it looks aesthetically correct while you're doing that pencil shank. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can't if your if your pencil shank is uh, uh, you know three eighths of an inch, you can't have a three eighths <laughs> of an inch tenon. Just it's not possible. Well, you could. So it would be in stupid. that case, you you could, but they, yeah, you just have yeah. to glue the joints together. So now let, y'all can't let, see the y'all can't see my gesticulations here, yeah. but uh, just just to so that you know, you know, I, I tried to simulate what it would look like. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is something that's important to Rick because Rick is uh, Rick prefers a draft hole that is pretty wide open and bigger than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's his personal preference. And when he it is, you know, if he uh, so if he he's got a preference like that, and if he comes to you and says, Jeff, I like a big, you know, I, I want my four point three millimeter draft hole. Make me a pipe. That's a discussion that the the, the two of you have, and Mm -hmm. it may or may not work out, correct? Right. Uh, I mean, so if any customer, uh, Rick included, comes to a pipe maker and asks them to do something outside of what they would typically do, then you can engage in that discussion. And for me, like if a customer came to me and says, hey, I want an eighth inch draft hole all the way through, I would say, I'm not the guy for you. (laughs) Um, And... The reason that a pipe maker might refuse to do something for you is not that we're being stubborn in particular. It's not to be stubborn or that we think our ideas are entirely right and yours are wrong. It's that we also have brands to protect. And so that, say, you, Brian, order this eighth-inch draft hole pipe for me, and I know for damn sure it's going to smoke like a pipe with an eighth-inch draft (laughs) hole, which is poorly. So, or at least not how I... I know that my customers expect my work to smoke. And you get that and it smokes terribly. And I say, I told you so. That's one potential outcome. And the other is that you you like it, but then eventually sell it on eBay or somewhere else. And someone else buys this pipe and has heard of a pipe maker's reputation. They spent their entire careers developing and they get this pipe and they go, my God, this thing smokes horribly. What's wrong with this? All uh, All of this reputation was built on lies. So we, we try to work within certain, you know, we, we want to work with our customers, but we also have uh, areas that we consider to be, you know, or, 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 or there, there are reasonable requests within what we will, uh, with, within which we will operate. Yeah. So for someone like Rick, uh, the, the, you know, the large draft hole that he's talking about, it's really, it's three tenths of a millimeter larger than is normal. It's not. It's not that, that big, big. Of a difference. No, no. <laughs> you can't so, drive a truck through it. No. Well, I mean, you could if it was 4.3 millimeters tall. <laughs> yeah. Does so, the, it, now, let me, let me back up. Is there a measurement of the draft hole diameter that you use that correlates with the size of the bowl? No. Not typically. So my standard draft hole size, and this is consistent from in the shank and also through the mouthpiece itself, is four millimeters or five thirty seconds. Now, I actually drill at four point one millimeters, and the reason that I do it is to uh, allow for uh, w- when a when a pipe maker drills or any woodworker drills a hole, that drill bit will generate heat. And through friction, and it causes the the wood to change in dimensions. So when you get done, your hole ends up being slightly smaller than the drill bit huh. uh, was, and you won't be able to get that same drill bit back into it unless it was extremely extremely sharp, and you're constantly sharpening your drill bits. But most of us don't do that. So I drill at four point one to account for that, and also. Because as after the first couple smokes, it causes the, the moisture that's generated by smoking will cause the wood, the wooden walls of the draft hole to expand slightly and shrink yep. the size, the diameter of the draft hole. So I want it to be an honest uh, four millimeters when you after the second or third or fourth smoke. And you don't want to really do a pipe that is 
smaller in draft hole dramatically because then that changes your smoking quality that you expect out of your pipes and exactly and vice versa exactly so there's a little the, bit of advice to uh to up and coming pipe makers you know don't let a customer push you into something that you're really not comfortable with yet because it may affect down the road the perception of your product right right and and it's also maybe a, a little bit of a message to potential custom pipe orderers that there are there are things that are considered reasonable and things that are not and I, I I'm hoping I hope that I have presented a case that that is reasonable uh, or that those customers would consider to be reasonable hey we've got we want to we want to help you out to the best of our ability but we also have brands and reputations to protect yeah and then if you get one of your pipes back that's not smoking right or somebody says something about it and you look at the draft hole and go, well, it's four and a half millimeters, <laughs> somebody stuck something in there and did something to it. And then you can say, well, yep. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, right. brother. <laughs> uh, and I've had that happen before. I had a customer who complained and complained. This pipe was, uh, he just didn't like it. Nothing about it was good. And he gave it back to me. I was like, my God, it looks like he he just, he, he ran a file up and down the mouthpiece and then end in the, uh, the draft hole and uh then was blaming me for it yeah mm -hmm. all right let, let's go on to this question because we, we got about 10 minutes left and uh these two i think are a little bit shorter but uh this one comes from me and you're gonna have to go back to early on in your days of pipe making and this is this is i'm setting this up so that other pipe makers and pipe buyers get a feeling for this so Mm -hmm. How did you feel in the early days of pipe making when you saw a pipe of yours show up as an estate pipe? Uh, I actually thought it was pretty cool. So it, did, I, it didn't hurt my feelings, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah. I mean, did, did you think, was there somewhere in the back of your head where you thought, well, I must have done something wrong or I didn't make it right or, you know... Did it bother you or? Yeah, apparent, yeah, yeah. Apparently you were happy. A, no, no. So so I think that there are a couple different responses. One, I was excited that uh, to see something pop up on eBay or, or at a store because I was like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I've made enough pieces now that, you know, they're now showing up on the estate market. I, yeah. I kind of saw that as a as a milestone. Um in terms of like turning it over or did like, did I potentially disappoint a customer? Absolutely. I did, you know, think that. Yeah. And I have always tried to maintain strong enough relationships with my clients and want my clients to know that I am open to criticism or feedback all the time. Like their opinions are extremely valuable to me. That's how I learn. That's how I get better. If you don't tell me you're having a problem, I can't fix it for you. And I won't be able to fix it for all of those other customers in the future. So I see it as a as a relationship between me and the purchaser of my pipes that we are helping one another out in that sense. Um, so, but it does, if you made like, if I were to make, you know, Brian, you had you just uh, had a kid or a grandkid or a great grand. Uh, you're probably a great grand kid these days, right? Yeah, hey, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and you ordered a, you know, custom ordered a pipe and put out all the details and bought everything that you wanted uh, about it. And then you bought it from me and you said, told me how much you loved it. And two weeks later, it showed up on eBay. I, yeah, that, that would hurt a bit. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't, oh, man, I worked hard on that for you. So that that kind of answered the second part of the question for me for how do you feel now? You know, now yeah. you now your pipes are sold through smokingpipes.com and other retailers and you have pipes that go out into the wilderness and you don't know where all they go. Right. So you so now it's more of a, an assumption of well, okay, it went out and wherever it ended up wasn't the happiest spot for it, but it wasn't it, you know, now now you have more of an understanding of the marriage between the pipe and the pipe smoker. Right. And sometimes it's just not a happy marriage and they have mm -hmm. to get, and they have to get divorced. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it, the, the maker's not always responsible for the dissatisfaction of a client, like yeah. a pipe, uh, someone buys a 
a pipe through a retailer or whatever, and the chamber was just slightly too big. Well, that's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> like chamber was the chamber. The chamber was the the size that it was, yeah. and the person. And and at the same time, from a size for that. From a pipe buyer standpoint, you know, you've got to try new brands and you've got to try new pipe makers and you've got to try new tobaccos. And there are going to be some that just don't work for you. And it's nothing wrong with them. And I've said this before and everybody understands it. Um, Do you have any suggestions for other pipe makers with how to deal with a pipe of theirs as an estate? You mean how... How should they handle it psychologically? How should they handle oh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know of some. I've heard of some pipe makers that want to go out there and buy up their estate pipes. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, well, if they've got the money to do it and they want to, you know, yeah. they're trying to artificially inflate their own market, then yeah, you know, go. But from a psychological standpoint, or from a business standpoint, any right. suggestions for them? Uh, to to be perfectly honest, I don't look at resellers' websites. And so maybe that helps my psychological well-being. Like I <laughs> genuinely don't know when pipes are coming up for sale or not, except when I have friends or customers who send me an email saying, hey, look what I just got on eBay. And, you know, sometimes sometimes it's a price that I'm really happy about. And sometimes I know they got a really good deal. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't let it hurt your feelings like yeah. it is. It, markets markets fluctuate and. You know, there there was a time when my pipes were selling as used estates for as much or more than they went for new, and other times when they go for much less. So every pipe maker, unless their last name is Everson, uh, has that that happen. Yeah, Everson or Conowitz or, uh, or Nord. Nord, yeah. Uh-huh. All yeah, right. There aren't many. Here's here's a two part question from Rick, and this will finish us up. Um, what are the best and worst things about being a pipe maker? The best and worst. Well, that's really broad. Yeah. Well, narrow it down to, I don't know, 50. So I will, let's talk about it just vocationally. Yeah. So I was originally intending to be a teacher. I was going to graduate school and intended to move on and teach at a university. And I enjoy research and I enjoy teaching. And one of the things that was so attractive to me about making pipes was that was different from my intended vocation. With that intended vocation, a research project can take a year and be inconclusive or may not have the the conclusions that you expected or, 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 or wanted for it. But I found when I was making a pipe that I would go into the workshop in the morning and and that evening or the next day or the day after that, I had something physical to show for my work, like something that something tangible that I could feel really proud of. And it was a really different experience than I was getting in my academic work. And I found it extremely rewarding. I loved that. I loved not only that, but also demonstrating that for other people. So when even now I'll have a, a client who who orders a pipe and I pick the block and I'll send them a photo of like, this is going to be your pipe. And it's funny to me because I do it all day long that they just can't even envision what is going to come out of that just piece <laughs> of that hunk of wood, right? <laughs> So inviting them into my world a little bit, they get to taste that like, wow, this thing, this just natural substance turned into this refined uh, object that I ordered and envisioned in my head. That's fun to give people. So I, I the, the second part of the, the question, things that I love about it is the interaction with my clients, making people happy, um, uh, just bringing a little joy to people's lives, bringing new creations into the world. That is just, uh, it, it never ceases to please me. Yeah. I, I don't know of anybody that listens to this podcast or goes to a pipe show or smokes a pipe that is not looking forward to buying a new pipe. Right. Right. <laughs> it, as, as one of my, uh, one of my longtime and favorite customers says, he goes, 
it's not about need. <laughs> I buy them because I want them. <laughs> yeah. If this was need, I've got about a um, hundred and some odd extra wants that I don't need sitting over yeah, here on not, shelves. Let's not count. It's not about numbers, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Is is there a part of it that you that you don't like? Uh, oh sure. I mean, like any like any occupation or even a hobby, there are things you don't like. For instance, I don't like it when I make mistakes that are not uh, re- retrievable <laughs> or recoverable, and I really don't like it when I have. Uh, uh, here, I'll give you I'll give you a great example of this. The very first order of briar I ever placed from a briar mill was in had to have been two thousand four. It was a, a a briar mill in southern Italy in Calabria. And I got a discount on it because I helped translate their website from it. I I suggested that they translate their uh, website from Italian to English. Now, I didn't speak Italian, so I tracked down a friend at school who spoke Italian and and used with a little help from him and Google Translate. I helped translate the site for them, got my little discount so I could afford the briar. And I think I got 25 blocks. And it was just for me, it was a fortune at the time. And I got these blocks in, and at the t- I, at the time, I think uh, my most expensive pipe was two hundred and ninety five dollars. Wow! And right, right, and so these blocks were almost ten percent of the cost of my nicest pipe. And I, I looked through these blocks, and there was one in particular, a half moon shape, and it had the most beautiful dense straight grain I had ever seen. Now I hadn't seen that many at the time, but. I decided I am not going to work this block of briar until I can sell a pipe for a thousand dollars. That was my goal. <laughs> well, that block sat and sat and sat and sat. And just this year, I was showing it to someone who was visiting, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's funny. I said I would never, you know, I sold a pipe for a thousand dollars years ago." So I said, "You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a pipe out of this." And I cut into it, and there was a giant flaw in the middle. <laughs> I had to throw it away. So that was a bad day. <laughs> so, so that kind, that kind of just real quick. I think I've told this story before on the show, but it's kind of similar to that. Where uh, I took my son as a nine-year-old or ten-year-old to the uh, to the Raleigh Pipe Show with me. You know, it was a you know trip for you know a trip for father and son to go on, and son got to go on yeah. a business trip with me. Uh, and we did all the hanging out stuff. And, and during the day of the show, I bought a bunch of raffle tickets and gave him the tickets. And every time they were going to draw a raffle, he'd go running up to the front and have our 10 or 20 tickets, whatever it was. And he'd sit there and look at the numbers. And at the end of the day, when he didn't get called, one of the guys there gave him a tin of tobacco that I can't to remember. To a 10-year-old. To a 10-year-old. <laughs> yes, this is, this <laughs> okay. is where it gets funny. Uh, it was like a you know Torben Dansk or something or whatever, and it was a it was not a tobacco I was looking forward to. But I told him I said, "All right, Kevin." It became your son's favorite blend. I, I said, "Kevin, this is yours, and you can have it when you turn eighteen. You know, so eight nine mm-hmm. years later. Well, I held on to that tobacco, and when he turned eighteen, he didn't want to smoke it because I'm a lousy sales guy and can't even get my own son to smoke a pipe. Um, <laughs> which you'll have that problem coming up in your life. Uh, yeah, so. And, and I, felt, I said, all right, well, for his 18, for his 21st birthday or something like that to celebrate, I opened up the tin of tobacco and it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Sometimes we can get a little precious about things. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I, I learned from that experience after my laugh. Uh, at and, and by the way, I still have, I didn't throw it away, like I said. <laughs> I shaved all the flaws away and there's about, I don't know, maybe a, there, there, there's a pipe left about the size of a quarter. <laughs> well, in California, <laughs> that should be really popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Jeff, I won't, I won't torture you with the fast five final questions because I think I've done that to you two or three times, so you get out of that one. <laughs> uh, Jay Allen Pipes, follow him on Instagram. Uh, the website, is it still Jay Allen Pipes? Uh, it is jayallenpipes.com, J-A-L-A-N. P-I-P-E-S, just in case. Correct. Dot com. Right. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. 
For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. If you have a Ask the uh, Pipe Maker question that you would like answered, please email it to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in case you missed it, uh, Jeff and his brother have uh, decided not to go forward with the Allen Brothers Pipe Project. And uh, coincidentally, yesterday, SmokingPipes.com put up 12 new ones, and they are all uh, very well discounted. So if you want a uh, pipe with Jeff's design work, go over there and grab one of these now while you can, because they're once they're gone, they are gone. Uh, also, you can check out Jeff's YouTube channel. He's doing some, uh, doing some really cool pipe-making stuff on there, so make sure and check that out. All right, for music... So last week, we uh, played a song off of the album Stay Awake, a uh, various interpretations of music from vintage Disney films. And it was Rob who suggested it to me. Um, Rob said his favorites are uh, Tracks or Castle in Spain and Baby Mine. Well, I've got my favorite, and I'm going to play you my favorite right now. And it's part of the... Uh, it's part of medley number, uh, where is the number of it? Oh, there it is, medley number four. And this is Feed the Birds by a Canadian artist named Garth Hudson. And uh, Garth is, uh, he, he's been described as the most brilliant organist in the rock world by Keyboard Magazine. And I, I've listened to this over and over again because it's just, it's just beautiful. So here it is. This is the uh, first song, the first of the four songs in this medley. So you'll hear a weird cut at the end of it. But uh, uh, Garth Hudson.
that's a little different than the piece I played last week, isn't it? You got mail. You got mail. You got mail. And remember, if you have comments or questions, you can email them directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, B-R-I-A-N, or uh, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com, or follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and you can message me there. Uh, Going back to uh, last week's show with Ken Johnson, Renfield says, another thoroughly enjoyable show. Ken was an excellent guest, and his discussion of the British tobacco business was fascinating. It's sad to consider the demise and decline of so many once great brands. Food for thought. Uh, Brian, congratulations to you and your wife on 30 years together. Yeah, thank you. Um, Congratulations to her for putting up with me for 30 years. Uh, Dino says Ken's behind the curtain look at to tobacco production and marketing from an English point of view was both fascinating and very informative. I really liked Tom Waits attempt at hi ho. Uh, that was a sweet and touching anniversary shout out to your wife and stripers. Honestly was the perfect coda. Happy anniversary and mazel tov, Dino. Thank you, Dino. And uh, Crash the Gray says, refreshing and fun interview. Thanks for leaving more flake tobacco to me. I like having the Ikea tobacco. Ha, you're welcome. You can have it all. Um, I still want to find out a way to you know, f- to uh, spin out my own tobacco at home. Uh, then he goes on to say, awesome Tom Waits selection and very sweet striper lead out. Happy anniversary to both of you. Thank you very much. And uh, my friend Dan Locklear also wrote a happy anniversary, and he said, uh, I enjoyed your interview with Ken Johnson this week. In England and all over the globe, what a rich history we celebrate with tobacco. Thankfully, even marching to a different drummer from most in society today, we dedicated pipe smokers continue in that ongoing celebration, uh, and your valued weekly show is a welcome part of it. Keep up all the good work and know how much it is appreciated with every good wish, Dan. Thank you, Dan. And uh, Dan and I talk about once every week or two, and it's uh, it's always fun to sit down with Dan. Um, hope he enjoyed the organ music today. Uh, anyway, um, Rob also wrote, uh, Brian, great interview with Ken Johnson. Really enjoyed the conversation. Also tickled pink you're enjoying Stay Awake. Yeah, that you know, and I'll say this: this is the beauty of music. Uh, there is a ton of music in the past to go out and explore and discover, and there's a lot of new musicians coming out, so it's always always a lot of fun. Um, Andy writes, uh, Brian, fun to find out that we share an anniversary. With that, I loved your closing music for your recent episode. I have to say that your music choices music choices often make me smile from Newsboys to Striper. Class, classic Christian rock making some noise on a pipe podcast. Love it. Uh, happy anniversary to you, Andy. And uh, yeah, you know, again, music is, uh, you know, certain bands hit me at certain times and some things stick and some don't. Uh, yeah, Striper was, uh, well, it was early on in the, in, you know, when they came out in the 80s, so. Uh, and then Mark Irwin wrote, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but it was in regards to the horn stems, which I heard from a couple of people about horn stems and what Jeff and I talked about. And I think it's important to reiterate it here uh, that we were when talking about uh, smoking a horn stem, both Jeff and I were talking from my from our experience, uh, not as experts. Uh, it's ask the pipe maker, not ask the expert shall we say but at the same time a lot of you enjoy the horn stem pipes and don't get any flavor from it and i've never noticed any flavor from the few that i've smoked so you know keep going with them they're actually uh, you can actually find some really pretty horn stem pipes out there especially some older stuff from uh, from the 40s 30s and they're just good looking small pipes so there you go uh, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Go on to eBay right now. Take a look at those uh, Take a look at those JDRF auctions. I'm also going to uh, get Kevin to put a link in the show notes for this show for uh, direct cash donations should you wish to do that to JDRF. Or if you'd like, you can uh, email me and I'll give you a Venmo or PayPal thing for me and then i'll include it with all the hat sales so there you go uh sad news to report before we finish up this week's show 
But uh, this week, uh, since we last recorded, the Columbus NASPC, NASPC show has decided to uh, cancel for this year. And also the Richmond, uh, the, the Richmond Sutliff Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers event has also decided to cancel for this year. And I'm, all I'm going to say about that is, yes, everybody, please be safe out there. Uh, and that these events need, you know, full participation in order for them to be successful and worthwhile. So if the organizers and if the situation does not allow full participation of exhibitors and attendees, you know what? It's better that we all just be safe and uh, save our money for next year's shows and just hit them even harder. Or if you were saving up money for those shows, you know, find your find your favorite uh, tobacconist or online retailer or your favorite pipe maker and uh, you know, spend it with them right now. All right, uh, enough of that. Rant time is coming up in just a moment. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. So, for the past few months, I have avoided talking about the uh, uh, talking about the world pandemic that's going on. But obviously, with the cancellation of pipe shows, you know, you can't it, it can't be completely ignored that this is July of 2020, and we are where we are. Uh, the past four months have been very different for me, with uh, you know, very with no travel at all. So it's been very different for me for for me to be at home. And I want to give you a little bit of advice, a little bit of uh, medicine that may help things a little bit around the house. If if you're feeling a little stale or a little, uh, I don't know, kind of stuck in a routine around the house like I've been lately. Well, you know, and sometimes I don't always take my medicine. I, I dose it out, but I don't always take it myself. But here's what I did this past weekend, and this has really helped. I decided it was time to clean my desk. Yeah, clean my wooden desks. I took everything off of it, disconnected everything, and that's a, that's a bit of a process when you've got a recording studio set up on your desk, but took it apart, got some old English, polished it all up, polished everything and cleaned it, and then polished it again and went back through it again and again. And then I turned it, and I rotated it, and I did that primarily because I got some new artwork as an anniversary present, and I wanted to be able to look at it directly while I'm sitting here at my desk, but what it did was, first of all, it changed my perspective. Just that slightest change of perspective. It made me feel like I've done something. It made me, I've got a new view from my desk. So just change your perspective. Even from a pipe smoking standpoint, you know, we all have pipes that we don't smoke that often or as often as others. Change the way your pipes are organized and you'll find different pipes and you might grab a different pipe more often. So... There's my thoughts for you. Just change your perspective if you can. Read a book. I don't know. Get outside. Uh, just change your perspective and shake things up a little bit. All right. Thank you to uh, Jeff Grasick as always, for joining me. Uh, thank you to all you for uh, that have left iTunes reviews recently. We've gotten a few in, and I really appreciate those. Uh, so once again, thanks to Jeff. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather
It's very important you don't stink today. Hey, I make no guarantees.